Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this, this treatise on obedience that you have before us, that you, by your Spirit, through Moses, put down on paper thousands of years ago, but it's just as, uh, in many respects, Lord, is just as relevant today as it was when he spoke it to the nation of Israel, Lord. How beautiful is the obedient life. Oh, Lord, that as we, uh, as we go through this message and, and we come to its completion, that we, Lord, would with the psalmist, treasure and worship the beauty of your holiness, that we would treasure the life and, and the beauty of the life of holiness, that we would, uh, Lord, that we would, as it says of David, I think it's Psalm 119, Lord, where he says, I run in the path of your commands, that, that our opinion of obedience would change through this message, that it would be uh, changed to a place, Lord, where we 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 really understand so much better uh, that obedience is not something that you've brought about to control us in a an unloving way or uh, type of thing, but you you've given it to us as a privilege because you love us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would help me as um, I work through these chapters in Deuteronomy. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1 begins. And again, Moses speaking to about 3 million of the children of Israel. Uh, Forty years after their deliverance from Egypt, they are just east of the Jordan River, and they are ready to go in. Uh, they have gotten many, many uh, lessons on how to uh, obey God in times of affliction. They had 30, 40 years of that lesson. So Moses is really emphasizing the need to obey him in times of prosperity. And so uh, there you have it. Verse 1 says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. You know, how how that phrase, uh, loving God, uh, is used so lightly uh, and so freely uh, amongst uh, people today and I, I we do a lot of witnessing to strangers on the streets and I would say if you in my experience it would be probably over well over 50 percent of people who, who if you asked them and they said they believed God that they would also say that they loved God but the Bible makes it very clear first John 5 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And hence, in verse 1 here, it says, you shall love the Lord your God. And, and what does that mean? What is an expression of, the, uh, of loving the Lord your God? It's 
as the verse continues, keeping his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandment always. Uh, that is an expression of love to him, for him. I remember uh, counseling someone, and this I was with another elder, and this person had uh, had uh, had really a, a long history uh, of gossip, of being divisive, of, of criticizing many people, of sowing uh, division, and um, we were sort of recounting some of the behavior to the person, and uh, they said, well, I, you know, I just don't under, understand this because I, I really, really love God. And I had to interrupt. I don't do this uh, that often, at least anymore, because I've uh, learned better over the years. Uh, but I interrupted and I actually said, no, you don't. You don't love God. Because if you love God, you wouldn't have criticized this person person, spoken evil about that person, gossiped about this leader, uh, criticize and undermine this other leader. Uh, you, you don't love God. And, and so uh, it's, it is so true. Um, you know, we don't love God if we are disobeying his commandments any more than we love our, uh, our, our spouse if, if we're cheating on them. And, you know, it, it, uh, that, that phrase, loving God, I think most people think of, you know, uh, an affection that they may have towards God. But if you're not obeying the word of God, you're not loving God. Jesus says in Luke chapter uh, 6, <clears throat> verse 46, Why do you call me Lord? And do not do the things which I say. And so we, we can't, we shouldn't be calling him Lord, nor should we be saying we love him if we're not doing the things he tells us to do. So Moses tells them, "You shall love the Lord your God." How by keeping his charge, his com, uh, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Verse two says this. It says, "Know today that I do not speak with your children." who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of, uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the, the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they uh, pursued you, and how... Uh, the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abram, the sons of El Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth uh, opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all their substance that was uh, in their possession in the midst of Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong the days uh, in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. So in our chapter uh, by chapter, verse by verse uh, study, we like to get into some 
we like to get into difficult passages. Verse 2 is kind of a difficult passage because he says, Know today that I do not speak with your children. And then he basically goes on to say, he recounts the things that have happened since uh, the people of children of Israel left Egypt. And he says, and because you saw those things, uh, you need to obey everything that I ask you to obey. So uh, scholars uh, disagree really on how to treat that. I, I, I personally feel like what's read into this is that there is a greater accountability. It's certainly not saying that the children don't have to obey because otherwise uh, the children are told in Deuteronomy that they do have to obey all the commandments. What it appears to be to mean is that Moses seems to be addressing uh, again, those who uh, were, uh, were whose bodies uh, did not fall in the wilderness as a result of the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. Uh, they were children at the time, 18 years and younger maybe. Some scholars think up to 40 years. Uh, um, they... Uh, that, that God actually, when he was referring to none of you will see the promised land, he was speaking of those 40 and above, 18 and above. Could it have been younger? I mean, this, this verse indicate, this, these verses here in chapter 11 indicate it was probably older. Um, probably kids 18 and under, even up to 40, that younger generation um, who, uh, whose bodies did not fall in the wilderness. And it's to them, he's saying, look, you are accountable in an extra way. And, and this principle is throughout the Bible. Actually, Jesus brings the same thing up. Paul brings it up that, um, that when you receive more revelation, you're more accountable to God. And so um, he's telling him that the, the, that generation the younger generation who were not judged at Kadesh Barnea, who are the God has preserved to to cross over uh, the uh, over the land uh, over the River Jordan into the uh, into the Promised Land, and but who also were, were there when the when they left Egypt, uh, or saw many of the miracles as children. They may have been born after uh, they left Egypt, but they, um, but they, they, they saw uh, many of the many of the miracles. He, he's telling them, look to those of you who have seen the miracles. I'm not talking to your children now. I'm talking to you. You are extra accountable to follow the Lord. Uh, verse eight to keep every commandment. Uh, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And, uh, you know, I do, it, 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 it's, uh, even in the church today, uh, we need, we grow in our accountability to the Lord the more that we see his hand uh, in our lives. And there really is um, a different level of accountability once you have seen the Lord move in, in great ways, a, a different accountability than uh, maybe a newer believer who hasn't seen the hand of the Lord. So he's just reminding him, uh, look, you, you've seen what I did to Egypt. You've seen the waters and the chariots of the Egyptian army overflowed by waters. You saw, verse 6, at the, at the rebellion of Korah where... Uh, 
Dathan and Abram and the sons of Eliab, the, the, the earth actually opened up. You, you saw that. And, and so whatever you do, don't go into the promised land and rebel. Uh, you need to go into the promised land and in light of all that revelation you got, and you need to follow uh, the Lord. And so uh, it says in verse 10, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt. It is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks waters from the rain uh, of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And so uh, what's going on here is, is, is in Egypt, yes, there was an advantage in some ways that they uh, were on the banks of the Nile River, and uh, because of that, there could be irrigation of the crops. However, the, the, the irrigation and what you needed to do to properly irrigate the farmland, that was a lot of work, um, a lot of work. It says where you sowed seed and watered it by foot, verse 10 says, that could, some people think that's referring to water wheels. I think actually myself, it's just, it, it's an indication that it, 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 it took you an enormous amount of work and effort, uh, 12 months a year in order to properly um, irrigate. And the point being, when you go into the promised land, provided that you are obeying the Lord, you're not going to have to do a thing in order to water your crops. Uh, I'm going to be fully responsible for that. And so, wow, uh, what a, a, a blessing um, it is, uh, the, the blessing of obedience, verse 13, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain, uh, that would be uh, in October, actually, uh, and the latter rain, which is March or April, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may be, may eat and be filled. And so he's saying, look, this will be the fruit of, uh, this will be the fruit of your obedience, that um, you will be able to uh, just enjoy life, enjoy family so much more, because I'm going to be, I'm going to be irrigating for you just through through uh, the rain however verse 16 says but take heed to yourself lest your hearts be deceived and you turn yours uh, you turn aside and serve um, other gods and worship them lest the uh, Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land you yield uh, produces uh, yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you and so uh, here you have it uh, this is about as clear as clear can be uh, if you obey 
I will bless the land. I will bless the, 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 the fruit of your hand. But if you disobey, there will be fam famine. And so uh, it can't get any clearer than that. And, uh, and the Lord uh, would, would never have, you know, was essentially saying, look, when things go bad, never say that I didn't uh, warn you as to uh, what the result would be. And uh, so they're specifically told there uh, what would happen if they obeyed and if they disobeyed. If you obey, I'm going to irrigate the land for you. If you disobey, there's going to be famine. There's going to be chastisement. And I, I, I think, I, whenever I think of famine in Israel, I think of the story with Ahab just going up to uh, really coming out of nowhere, appearing in the, in First in Kings, and uh, that incredible scene where he just goes right up into the temple of, or rather into the court of Ahab, and said, uh, for th "It will neither uh, there will be there there will be neither dew nor rain, for, um, except at my word." And so, uh, and then he takes off, and there's a three and a half year famine, uh, and. Why? Because the nation was in great rebellion. They had taken the blessing of the Lord and said, hey, wait, we don't want to be, have to be accountable uh, to anyone and how we use this blessing. And they, uh, they worshiped the Baals and other things, and, and famine came. So, so interesting uh, that uh, a life of obedience were assured blessing, a life of disobedience, we are assured famine in some one way or another in our life. There'll be a famine of joy, a famine of peace, a famine of maybe a famine of uh, financial security, maybe a famine of health. It just, uh, these types of things will happen uh, because God loves his children and he chastises them. Verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now you may say, now wait a second, why do we have to hear that again? We heard that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, to that, I ask you this question. After, when you read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 with us, and when we were um, in that chapter, uh, let me ask you, were you convicted that uh, you really need to make the Word of God more a part of your life? Did that happen in Deuteronomy chapter 6? Uh, my next uh, statement question is, if the answer is yes, uh, did you change your conduct? Did you make the Word of God a greater part of your life? Did you, uh, did you begin more to uh, bind them uh, on your soul and, uh, and, and make, make the Word of God more a part of your life? Well, if the answer is, well, no, I didn't. I, I was convicted. I, I, I did commit to do something different, but I didn't do something different. Well, that's the reason it's mentioned again here, because the Lord anticipates people like you and like me who uh, 
hear something so grave, so important, so central to who we, who we are as Christians, but we don't get it enough to obey, and so the Lord is good enough to repeat it, and that's what he does here in uh, chapter 11, verses 18 through 20. He, he, uh, he repeats himself, Colossians chapter 3 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. How important this is uh, to, uh, how important this is for any Christian to thrive in in their life you know a question for you and i ask these things to my own heart as well what is it that has most access to your mind Uh, is it the internet is it the social media is it uh, the news media is it tv is it games is it entertainment or is it the Word of God? I mean, one thing that these verses make so clear, again, lay up these words of mine, verse 18, in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign in your hide, and they, that they shall be frontless between your eyes. It, it's, it's clear here that God is making it so clear that um, we need the Word of God. We need to be breathing. It needs to be the air that we breathe, uh, the Word of God in our life. And so, uh, so important that he repeats it. And he says, the result, verse 21, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Verse 22, for if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, shall be your territory. Uh, and so, uh, at the time of David, actually, the they did they occupied uh, the sea, referring to the the the, Medi- the western sea there, referring to the Mediterranean, all the way to the river Euphrates shall be your territory. Verse 25, no man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as as he said to you. So remember, when the two spies went into Jericho, we're going to see that in Joshua. Rahab is going to tell them, look, this, this this city is filled with fear, dread of, of you all. And I tell you, when uh, your enemy is filled, uh, um, is filled with dread of you, uh, basically the victory is yours. Uh, you, uh, you ask any uh, military official and they will tell you that uh, if, you, if an army loses its spirit to, to fight, they're going to lose. And when you're filled with fear, your spirit is gone and you're going to lose. And so the Lord 
But the Lord is promising here that he would do that very thing. Verse 26 says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after go other gods which you have not known. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you possess, that you shall put blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And so Joshua chapter 8 on uh, on Gerizim, there was uh, one group of people who basically shouted out the the blessing, uh, the blessings that uh, Deuteronomy mentions uh, accompany a life of obedience. And then on Mount Ebal, another uh, group of people are up there. There's a smallish valley in between them, so they can hear each other and. The group of people on Mount Ebal shout what the curses are that are mentioned in Deuteronomy that are associated with disobedience. Uh, and that was uh, to be a remembrance and a warning and a reminder of, again, what happens to the light that obeys and what happens to the light that disobeys. I tell you, the Israelites had, and, and us really today as Christians, we have had so many uh, warnings and signs and uh, the mile markers, red flags, whatever you want to call them, uh, that a life of disobedience is going to lead to our misery, but a life of obedience is going to lead to prosperity. And that's what this book is all about. Verse 30 says, and they, uh, and they not on the other side of the Jordan toward the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal beside the terebinth tree of Morah for you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you will possess it and dwell in it and you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today chapter 12 these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord uh, God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days of that you live on the earth. Notice how it says that you shall be careful to observe. It should be something that uh, is uh, t not taken lightly ever that uh, they were to be careful to observe. It should be front of mind. Verse 2 says, You shall utterly destroy all the places, places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and on every green tree. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their uh, their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Uh, and so uh, they are ordered when they go in to just destroy all these images on the high mountains, the places. Why? Because the Lord didn't want them to be tempted uh, to 
uh, say, hey, look, uh, these things still hanging around. Let's let's uh, worship their gods uh, using their instruments of worship, using their places of worship. He wanted uh, to uh, just eliminate them. You know, there are certain things in our life that we just got to get rid of because they're going to be too much of a temptation uh, to us. Uh, particular house, our houses are not ours, they're gods, and we need to get the stuff out of them. Uh, if they are leading us into temptation in some way. And so the Lord is doing them a favor here by ordering them uh, to go up to these places, these high mountains on the hills, uh, and get rid of the sacred pillars. They didn't, and, and burn them with fire, not so the people couldn't be studying. Huh, what, are, what do these things mean on uh, this pillar? Or... What do these things mean on this uh, little uh, offering place here? And so they're ordered to uh, destroy all those things. But, verse 5, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. And so here... And there's going to be a fair amount about this for the rest of the chapter. The Israelites are told, remember up to this point, the tabernacle uh, has moved from place to place to place. When they get to the nation of Israel, uh, or the, the inside the territory that we now know as the, the, the nation of Israel, or that was later made the nation of Israel, they were the God was going to choose one place, and it says, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. Yeah, I find that interesting, that they needed to seek the Lord. Uh, they needed to seek hard after the Lord. Where is it? Where is it that you have uh, for us to, uh, to put this permanent place where the tabernacle, of course, after that, the temple, is going to uh, reside uh, there, there was not going to be like a physical signpost there. Uh, there was going to be this, uh, this place that the, that the Lord God was going to uh, show them uh, where he wanted his temple. And, of course, uh, we know uh, from uh, the book of Chronicles that uh, the place where they... Uh, wound up choosing was uh, Aruna's threshing floor where David bought and the nation of Israel was in the uh, midst of a famine brought about because uh, David had taken a census and uh, rather it wasn't a famine, it was a plague and uh, so David um, uh, this is First Chronicles 21, uh, went to Aruna, offered him uh, the place, and uh, it's, uh, it says there that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, not Aruna, but Ornan, the Jebusite. It's Ornan, the Jebusite. And uh, Ornan told him, Look, you can take this for free. David says, no way. Uh, I'm not going to offer burnt offerings uh, with that, which cost me nothing. And uh, 
And so this was the place that the, the, that the Lord uh, had chosen to build the temple. Uh, it was a very interesting place because there was a, uh, while D David was there, there was a, uh, there appeared above it uh, an angel with a, a large sword because he was in the middle of really destroying the people of Israel because of, uh, of David's sin and, and their own sin, the Bible says. Uh, and, and that was the place where David offered the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And uh, it says that uh, in verse 26 of 1 Chronicles 21, that the uh, God answered him at that place after his burnt offerings from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. So uh, at that point, um, that was really the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 12.5, which says, You shall seek the place where the Lord God, your God chooses. Uh, it was that, and, and oh, oh, did um, the Lord manifest himself there. He brought fire down on the altar and it became apparent, okay, this is the place and that's where uh, they put it. It says, verse 6, there you shall take your uh, burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do, rather verse 8 says, you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. Verse 12, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your born offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord uh, chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and you shall do all that I command you. Uh, so there you have it. The Lord is being very specific here that when they get into the nation of Israel or into the land of Canaan, the promised land, they are to choose one place where the priests will offer up uh, their sacrifices, and they were not just to uh, go on any high hill at the time and make their own sacrifices. They were not allowed to do that. Uh, they were required to do it in Jerusalem. And otherwise, in other places, uh, we're told that there's actually three uh, feasts a year that they were required to go to Jerusalem, at which time uh, offerings were made. But um, 
you know, the, the, you know, it's a fair question. Well, why is it that today we don't have a central place of worship? Uh, as Christians, uh, that is true. That uh, we there's not one place in the world that's really any more special than any other place in terms of uh, worshiping God. Uh, at the time. I believe the right answer is at the time, again, it's this progressive revelation that you see in the Old Testament, started with Abraham, God revealing himself, reintroducing himself to the world after knowledge of him had been completely shut out, and uh, he's introduced the law to them. They had only recently been in um, Egypt where they were uh, practicing the idolatry of the Egyptians, and frankly, uh, a couple things. Number one, they're not ready yet to be just on, on every high hill without a priest just doing their own thing. Um, because as verse 8 says, you shall not do, not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. The Lord know, knew full well that they basically, basically would be, uh, after a while, just doing whatever they wanted to do, worshiping God however they wanted. Hey, you know, regardless of uh, the approaching him, for example, independent of sacrifice, approaching him independent of the blood. And uh, it, it was clear at this time that the nation of Israel needed a centralized place of worship so that they could continue getting to know God and growing as the people of God, growing in their knowledge of God. Uh, probably even more importantly is the fact that they didn't have the Holy Spirit as we have today uh, dwelling inside of us in the New Covenant. Uh, we actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so uh, when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we are not as prone, obviously, to do whatever is right in our own eyes, that we will be driven back to doing things the way that God is uh, worshiping God, the way he's, he's told us to do. Now, there are some Christians who take all of this to ex an extreme, saying, well, I don't have to worship in a church. I'm fine at home by myself. Uh, the Bible says, worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And uh, they, they think that they, you know, they... They, they see, say things like, well, I'm against the institutional church, this type of thing. And, and by doing that, uh, actually, they are doing really whatever is right in their own eyes. And, and I've, I've never seen a person who uh, held that view that somehow they can operate outside the local church, uh, prosper, uh, be fruitful in their life. Uh, I, I've never seen it, not even once. You know, the, the Bible says, uh, one of my favorite verses to address this kind of issue, uh, it says this, it says, verse 22 of Second Timothy chapter 2 says, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, we should be pursuing 
righteousness, faith, and love with others, with the body of Christ. Uh, the, of course, the, the verse that's uh, well-known is that uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us uh, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So if we're not around one another, if we're just by ourselves worshiping God apart from the local church, um, we're not going to be stirring up uh, love and good works. But verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10 is very specific, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves to, um, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The, the Lord has called us into a local body where we are operating uh, and exercising our spiritual gifts and blessing and building up the church. Uh, I don't see how a person uh, could read, for example, Hebrews, ch I mean, Ephesians chapter 4 and conclude that somehow they can just be alone in their house. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teaching teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Meaning, we, we don't come to be that reflection of the Son of God on planet Earth by ourselves. We only do it as we are working in with other saints, interconnected to them, uh, working with them. Verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth and love that we may grow up in all things. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. So that says we need to be joined and knit together, not living in separate houses, never meeting with one another, but joined and knit together. Verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. By what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by every in which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Uh, we need each other. We need to be each other. We are the body of Christ. The other verse, uh, actually the verse that I, 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 I quote more than any other verse to someone who says that they don't need to be in the, an institutional church. They can just worship the, the Lord as they please in their own house. I, I quote to them uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, which says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you, etc., uh, etc., it is very clear that uh, the ear needs the the eye, the eye needs the stomach, the stomach needs the feet, the feet needs the hand. And so, uh, so important uh, that we don't take this view that um, we can just, we don't have to live in community. It's in community where we, uh, where we glorify the Lord. And so at this time, Deuteronomy chapter 12, it was one place. And of course, we know that one place would be uh, Jerusalem uh, that was going to be uh, chosen as the place where the tabernacle, 
would have a permanent uh, home and then eventually, of course, that would be the temple. Then in verse 15, it says, However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your hearts desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithes of your grain, or your new wine, or your eel, uh, rather, or, or your oil of the firstborn of your herd, of your flock, of any of your offerings which you vow, of your freewill offerings, or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all which you put your hands. Take heed to yourselves that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. When the Lord your God enlarges your border, as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock which the Lord has given you just as I have commanded you and you may eat within your gates as much as your hearts desire just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten so you may eat them, eat them the unclean and the, uh, and the clean alike you may eat only be sure that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life, you may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it, you shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Okay, well that's a mouthful, starting with verse 15. So, uh, it, it, verse 15 begins by saying, You may slaughter and eat meat within your gates. That's repeated in verse 20, where it says, "Your um, the Lord, your, when the Lord your God enlarges your border, as he promised you, and if the place, verse 21, where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter your from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord uh, has given you, just as I commanded you, and you may eat within your gate as much as your heart's desire. So what this appears to mean is that uh, it, it really ties back to some verses in, in Leviticus, Leviticus 17, verses 3 and 4, which were given prior to the 39-year wandering uh, that... Uh, Verse 3 and 4 of Leviticus 17 appear to say that you could not kill and slaughter your own uh, animals for your own food, even animals that you were not given for sacrifice. It, uh, that's certainly the literal uh, reading of Leviticus 3 and 4. 
I'll just read them for you. It, it says this in Leviticus 3, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed but shall be imputed to that man. So apparently what was going on is that they were in such a rebellious, idolater state when they left Egypt that the Lord didn't even want to chance them even killing um, an animal and eating it uh, for food. Again, even animals that were not being used for sacrifice, they were just animals uh, for um, just for them to eat. I, uh, the thinking appears to be that they were so prone to idolatry they'd be slaughtering um, animals uh, for for sacrifice and doing it in a way either to a pagan god or in an inappropriate way they're so given to idolatry they said look all killing of animals has got to be at the tabernacle that uh, does that does appear uh, to what Leviticus 3 and 4 uh, is saying However, at the time they go into 39 years later when Deuteronomy is being uh, uh, recited, the words of Deuteronomy by Moses, it does say uh, in verse 20, but when the Lord enlarges your border as he has promised you, uh, then you can slaughter and eat your meat. Actually, verse 21 says, if the Lord where the if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you. So this does appear to mean that, look, um, those that law for the 39 years in the wilderness where you were in walking distance uh, of the tabernacle uh, and you, whenever you slaughtered an animal, it had to be with a priest lest you go into idolatry. Uh, a greater freedom is, is given here because they are, of course, they're going to be, uh, some heirs of Israel are going to be three or four more days away from Jerusalem. So they're given permission to slaughter uh, from uh, their own herd. And it says, and eat as much as their hearts desire. So uh, you see here what appears to be a, a growing knowledge of God, a growing obedience to the Lord. The Lord is entrusting them with a greater freedom here uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 12. There's a repetition uh, twice about not uh, eating the blood, and that was a, a pagan uh, ritual, eating blood, so it was uh, specifically uh, forbidden. Uh, but an interesting also to note in verse 12 and verse 18, it's just saying, when you, uh, when you are in Jerusalem and you are uh, offering sacrifices, it says you shall rejoice. Uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Lord does not enjoy. He is not delighted when folks are serving him um, out, of, uh, out of duty with no joy in their heart. And, and so... Uh, you know, what do we do? What do, what do we do when we're serving the Lord where there's no joy in our heart? Well, the answer is we ask and pray and we, and, and 
we, we ask the Lord, why is it that there's no joy in our heart when, in my heart rather, when I serve you? He'll tell you. Uh, I can assure you, he will tell you, uh, because the Lord is delighted to see joy in your heart. He's glorified. The Bible says that he is glorified uh, the most uh, when we are serving him with joy, particularly when we're serving him with joy when there's uh, affliction and trials and tribulation in our life. And that's the principle of Job, right? And Satan said to God, the only reason Job serves you uh, is because you bless him so much. Uh, and so uh, the story was that, uh, of course, by the end of the story, we read that Job continued to serve God, did some complaining along the way, but regardless of God removing, the fact that God removed uh, many of the blessings or almost all the blessings of Job's life. And so um, God loves a cheerful giver. He's delighted. He's most glorified uh, on heaven and on earth and the principalities and with men uh, when we rejoice uh, in him, when we serve him. Okay, so then it uh, goes on and it says, I believe we're in verse 26, only the holy things which you have, your vowed offerings, you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Verse 21, verse 29 says, when, not if, but when the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods. How did, how did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that God had waited to that point. Remember, uh, when was it? Five or six hundred years earlier to Abraham, God promised him the land, but said he was waiting till the uh, am, the sin of the Amorites reached its fullest. Well, what those, what he was referring to, without telling Abraham, there was child sacrifice, and uh, it was child sacrifice that the that the Lord waited until uh, he judged the land, and and so I just do wonder about abortion and how. Uh, important it is that uh, we as salt and light in the body of Christ that we resist with all our hearts and all our minds and in any way we can uh, uh, the the abortion industry in the United States of America because if it you know gets to the point um, it, it's it's already at a point where we deserve all the judgment that could possibly come upon us. 
But I tell you, if it gets to the point that it did uh, with the Amorites, where there was no resistance anymore, then the whole nation was just given over to these things. Oh my, is judgment coming? And one can only think really of the whole world, uh, where there's just a handful of countries. It was just reading that Argentina is is and uh, voting. Uh, on abortion. Ireland just uh, always was a stalwart uh, forbidding abortion, just passed laws promoting it um, or allowing it. Uh, you know, when the when every country in the world falls, it could be that that's when the rapture is going to happen because the, the Lord uh, just takes this so very seriously. And it's interesting that he waited until the land was just full of that, burning sons and daughters in the fire. That was Molech and other gods. Um, Till he he gave he gave permission for the Israelites to go in. Actually, didn't give them permission. He commanded them to go in and just judge the land and take over the land and possess it. And so let that be a warning to our hearts and encourage meant to just to continue our resistance uh, to uh, to this practice in this country. Verse 32 concludes, chapter 12, it says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Okay, well, there you have it. Next time we will pick up in Deuteronomy 13. God bless you.